Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week we continue our series, Changing the Way You Think, Paul's First Letter to the Corinthians. And today's message is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, and it's entitled, Temptation. Going to be continuing our time of uh, uh, study this morning, the book of First Corinthians. So, if you're uh, here for the very first time, welcome to you. My name is Pastor Mike, and we're so glad you've uh, come to the church at Rocky Peak. And uh, we're in the midst of a study on the book of uh, First Corinthians. We're in chapter ten. So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. Uh, just quick question: uh, uh, How many have ever been tempted in your life? Uh, <laughs> just want to see who the honest people are. <laughs> okay, the rest of you, I don't know. Uh, a little shaky. Uh, yeah, well, hey, we've all been there, haven't we? I mean, whether your temptations may be in the sexual realm, some kind of sexual temptation, maybe your, your temptations in the anger realm, uh, temptation of some sort of substance abuse or some sort of addiction, maybe it's a, a gossip, uh, uh, could be shopping, overspending, uh, just <laughs> want to make sure I get everyone here. Um, <laughs> but whatever, whatever your temptation is, it's a big deal, isn't it? This is a key to the Christian life, learning how to deal with temptation. And so that's the topic today in chapter 10. Now, the particular temptation they were facing um, was idolatry. Uh, they had come out, the Corinthians, many of them had been pagans. They came out of uh, uh, pagan worship. They were used to going to the temple, not only for their pagan worship, but often everything that went with that. Often sexual immorality went with that. Uh, Big time partying went with that. And so it was just kind of a party zone uh, type of uh, atmosphere. And some of them, of course, they'd come to Christ in a powerful way. But you know how it is. You come to Christ, so you're tempted to go back into that old lifestyle. And so Paul is writing to tell them, no, you can't do that. It's horribly dangerous. And, and what he does is he says, um, he uses a case study from the nation of Israel as an illustration. And uh, you remember how it was with the nation of Israel. When they came out of Egypt, just an amazing start in their walk with God, right? I mean, God just so, he miraculously sets them free from, uh, from Egypt, the, the plagues. They go through the Red Sea. Remember that? The Red Sea parts. And, and almost in a symbolic way, it was like they were leaving their old life behind and moving into their new life with God. It was almost like a baptism on big scale going through the Red Sea. That's what Paul's going to say. And so they go through the Red Sea, uh, that God meets them in powerful ways. They have a pillar of, cl- they have the, uh, the cloud that goes, that leads them by day. They have the pillar of, uh, fire that leads them by night. When they run out of food, God provides supernaturally manna. Uh, when they're thirsty and they run out of water, God strikes, the, has them strike the rock and water comes out. So would you agree with me a pretty good start to their walk with God? <laughs> pretty good start. And yet, uh, Paul's point is when you stop and think about it, amazing start in their walk with God, but they ended up all dying in the wilderness. They, they never achieve God's plan for their life. And so his point is, hey, a good start in your walk with God doesn't guarantee a happy ending. And so temptation is what happens in the middle, you know, and how we deal with temptation will determine whether we, we go into the promised land, into God's plan for our life, or whether we die in the desert, you see. And so that's going to be his analogy. And along the way, he's going to give us some powerful principles, three principles we'll be focusing in today on dealing with temptation in our life. Three powerful truths. So let's jump in. Take your Bibles. We'll start at chapter 10 and verse 1. and go through the first uh, 14 verses. Okay, Paul says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers, in other words, the Jewish nation, they were all under the cloud. Now, remember, they, they traveled under the cloud of day, by, they led them by day, and they were all passed through the sea, the Red Sea. In fact, you might as well say they were kind of like baptized into Moses and in the cloud and, uh, and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food, of course, the manna. And they all drank the same spiritual, kind of supernatural drink, the water from the rock. For they drank from that spiritual rock that accompanied them. That rock was Christ. He says they didn't know his name yet, the creator of the universe, Christ. They hadn't, Christ had not been revealed yet on planet Earth. But the second member of the Trinity, he was traveling with them in their wilderness travelings. And it was he was the one who was providing through the water and providing the manna and so on. He says, nevertheless... Though they had this amazing start in their walk with God, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Now, this has to be one of the greatest understatements in all the Bible. When you start off with a couple million and two make it in to the promised land, uh, to say God is not pleased, <laughs> uh, understatement. And it says their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, I want you to think about that. 
Think the picture of this. Amazing start in their walk from God. They come out of Egypt, supernatural power, splitting the Red Sea, going through the wilderness, pillar of of fire by night, cloud by day, manna, uh, water from the rock, and yet they all miss God's plan for their life. Amazing. A good start doesn't guarantee a happy ending. And so, what makes the difference? Well, they, they gave in to temptation. And so, in verse 6, it says, Now, these things happened, and they occurred as examples. They're like case studies for you and I today. To keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And now he's going to give some examples of some of the mistakes that they make. He's going to have four examples from the Old Testament. He says, number one. So first of all, don't be idolaters. Remember, that's the temptation they're facing. And we'll see that in a minute. Don't be idolaters, as some of them were. As it's written, this is in uh, Exodus 32, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to indulge in pagan revelry. Okay? Second example. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. This is a second incident that happened in the wilderness, when in those wilderness wanderings. Uh, it's, it's recorded in the book of Numbers that uh, the Moabite nation at one point uh, invited Israel to come over and worship with them. Hey, why don't you come to our church? And so at their church, not only did you worship idols, you had sex when you worshiped idols. And so the whole nation was kind of being led into the sexual immorality and God stepped in with a judgment and look what happened. It says tw- one day 23,000 of them died. Third example of them disobeying the Lord. We should not test the Lord as some of them did. And they were killed by snakes. So there was times when they would kind of test God's patience. They would just push him to the brink to the point where he had to step in and judge them. One of those judgments was he sent uh, vipers, uh, snakes, into the the camp. And they would bite people and whoever got bit would die. Remember uh, that, that story in Numbers as well. And then there's a fourth example. And do not grumble. Now, if you study the nation of Israel and their wilderness, they were big time grumblers. You know? It's like, why did you take us out of Egypt? We had it so good there. Oh, really? You know? You were slaves being beaten, remember? You know? And so they would rebel against uh, uh, Moses and they'd rebel against God. And sometimes it would get so serious, they'd be about to kill Moses. And so at those times, God would have to step in and, and deal with that. And so it says, do not grumble as some of them did. And they were killed by the destroying angel. And that refers to an incident number 16. In fact, all these incidents in here, I put them on your note sheet if you want to check them out later. Now, catch this. Now, these things happen to them as examples. They're like case studies, okay? And they were written down. God wrote them down in his word as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So he says, if you Corinthians, you think you're standing firm in your walk with God. You know, you think you started this great, amazing walk with God. The Holy Spirit's come in your life. You have all these spiritual gifts. You think you're so strong. He says, be very careful. We're not going to talk about this today. We still have time. But just let me mention this. One of the biggest dangers we have in temptation is when we think that we're beyond it. (laughs) One of the biggest dangers of our life is we think, oh, I could never do that. I could never. I don't see how they could do that. I would never do that. You see, when, when we think we're past the point of vulnerability, that's our point of greatest vulnerability. And so he says in verse 12, so if you think you're standing firm, whoa, be careful that you don't fall. And then comes the, one of the greatest verses on temptation in all the Bible. He's going to make three powerful statements here. We're going to unpack each of them in the, the time where we work on the practical principles in a minute. But he says, first of all, no temptation has seized you. It's the first thing you need to know about temptation. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Your temptation is not unique. Secondly, God is faithful. You need to know that. When you face temptation, you're not in this thing alone. God's faithful. And in a couple ways. Number one, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's the first uh, thing you need to know. And the second way that he's faithful is when you're tempted, that he himself, he'll provide a way out, an escape route, so that you can stand up under it. We'll come back and talk more about that. Verse 14, therefore, my dear brothers, flee from idolatry. And so he doesn't really get to the, the specific temptation they're dealing with until verse 14. You kind of have to read that back in. But at verse 14, it becomes obvious. Here's the issue they're dealing with in their lives. Flee from idolatry and all that goes with it, okay? So that's the passage. Uh, 
Paul's writing to the Corinthians. They're facing major temptation to go back to idolatry. He says, hey, don't, you can't do that. That'd be a huge mistake. Let's learn from Israel's example. Go back, look at their example, and says, let's talk about temptation. There's three things you need to know, okay? And that comes in verse 13. So in the time that we have today, we're going to spend our time focusing on these three principles about temptation that is vital for us. I'm calling it, as usual, Temptation 101 because they're so basic. These are basic truths we need to understand if we're going to win. And here's how it's going to work, is that we have three principles, and each principle I'm going to spend longer on the next one than that one. So number one, a little bit of time. Number two, a little bit more time. Number three, a lot of time. All right? So here's how it's going. So let's go. Number one. The first thing we have to understand is if we're going to win over temptation is that everyone faces temptation, and yours is not unique. Everyone faces temptation. You have temptation. I have temptation. Yours may be different than mine or for the persons next to you, but we all have temptation in our life, and it's not unique. And it comes from chapter 10, verse 13. Notice it says, No temptation has seized you, attacked you. Kind of pictures temptation as if it's just kind of like luring there behind the boulder on the path. You come by and, whoo, jumps on your back. So no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Your temptation is not unique. It's common. Now, why is that so important that we understand this truth? I'll tell you why. Because when you're facing temptation, one of the lines that Satan is likely to give you is that I understand that you're not supposed to normally do this. But yours is unique. You are facing a unique situation. No one really understands what you're up against. No one understands how intense yours is. No one understands how long this has been going on. I understand that normally... You wouldn't be giving it to me. But this is just, no one can really get how intense your temptation is. No one really understands that. It's just too powerful for you. And God would never expect you to really resist this. This was written for most people at most times. It's not written for situations like yours. Now, have you ever experienced that in your life? You've been going through a hard time and there's this, this line of thinking that comes like, well, I'm not sure the Bible really covers this one. And so, so what, God, what God is saying is you have to understand this, that any temptation you ever go through in your life, it's not unique. There is nothing special about it. Now, yours might be different from mine, but there are thousands and millions of people throughout history who have faced that exact same temptation. And because of that, God can save you from it. He says, this is not something like God's like, oh, I never thought of that one. You know, never saw that coming. I'm so sorry, Frank. I wrote the verse, but I never saw your situation. You see, never is going to happen. Now, interesting sidelight here before we go on is I need to talk a little bit about this word temptation. The word in this passage that's translated temptation could equally be translated trial. Okay? Uh, for example, in James chapter 1, there's a famous verse, James 1-2, that says, We're to consider it joy, brothers when you encounter trials of various kinds. Because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let the test continue so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You familiar with that verse? It's a pretty famous verse, okay? So God says there's sometimes in our life we're going to go through hard times that he's allowed to come in and that we are to endure these times and be faithful during these times because this is the way God grows us up. They're trials, right? Well, interesting thing, in the Greek language, the word for temptation here and the word for trial there is the same word. So what's the difference between a temptation and a trial? Very simple. A temptation is where Satan is trying to get you to do something that's wrong. A trial is when he's trying to get you to stop doing something that's right. See the difference? So a temptation is... Uh, hey, you're in this marriage, you're not happy, you're hitting it off with this woman, have an affair. That's a temptation. A trial is, you're in a tough marriage, you're trying to stick it out, you're trying to make it work, God wants you to do the right thing, Satan wants you to bail on doing the right thing, you see? And so a trial is when God's saying, stick with it, a temptation is why God's saying, run. Um, and what I want you to catch is that Paul, that Paul says, if you look back in this passage, one thirteen or 10.13. No temptation or trial, 
you'll ever experience in life except what is common to man. It doesn't matter whether it's a hard time that God's asking you to endure or it's a temptation God is asking you to resist. You'll never experience something in your life that is unique. And because it's not unique, it is beatable. God is with you, okay? Number two. The second principle that flows out of this passage is that God will never give you more than you can handle. He'll never give you more than you can handle. Now, I know this is church, but can we just be honest for a minute? (laughs) Have you ever had a time in your life you feel like God has given you more than you can handle? How many of you have ever felt like that, right? Okay, okay. so we just have to acknowledge this right off the bat. Because otherwise we go, oh yeah, whatever, never more than you can handle. I've been there. I think that's not true, you see. There's so many things in the Bible we say, oh yeah, that's true. I believe it because I'm a Christian. But really, we don't really believe it. This is one of those things. And we'll come back and talk about that in a minute. But first of all, I want to ground this in what the Bible actually says. Let's see what God's word actually says. Chapter 10 and verse 13. No temptation has seized you. It's common to man. So yours is not unique. But secondly, he says he will not let you be tempted or go through a trial, remember, beyond what you can bear. God says you have his word on it that he will never allow you to be in a situation that is beyond your ability to resist or beyond your ability to endure. Never. You've got his word on it. And when I was in high school, we, we had this old bus at our church. And we had a high school group. And it would often go on camping trips and Sierra treks and different kinds of things. And we had this old bus. And it was so old that we had a nickname for the bus. It was called Methuselah. And... Uh, and the thing was, it was just always touch and go whether you're going to get somewhere. I mean, everything, you know, you, you're going to the Sierras, you just never know whether you're really going to get there or not. And, you know, you're going up the hills, everyone's just praying to Jesus, you know, for help and keep the wheels on. And Well, of course, the, the church leaders, they knew how sad the situation was. And so they did something. They put what was called a governor on the engine. Now, now do you know what a governor on the engine is? Uh, so it's, it's not like Schwarzenegger sitting there. It's a... It's, uh, Yeah, a governor is a device you put on an engine that limits how fast the engine can go or how fast, how many RPMs, how fast the engine can turn. And the reason you do this is so the engine doesn't blow up. Because you know, it's like, hey, this engine is not very strong. The chances of it making there and back at full speed are none. And so we're going to keep it at 50 miles an hour. We're not going to let it go over 50 or we're not going to let it go over certain. And so you put a governor on it to limit it so it doesn't blow up. Okay, now this is what God is saying. God says in, in our lives, he puts a spiritual governor on our lives. And says, I will never allow the amount of temptation or a lot of trial that you go through, I will never let it get to the point where it's unbeatable. I, I, will, never let it, I will never put you in a situation that is more than you can handle. And that's an amazing promise. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, I want to underline this. This does not seem true. If you're in a Christian any time, you go, oh, that's really nice the Bible says that, Mike, but that does not seem true to me. Because I've been in situations before that seem like they're more than I can handle. Like if you just knew, if you knew the level of raging fire that I experienced in my life in sexual temptation, and I've tried everything, and I've tried this, and I've tried that, and just the passion within me, and I can't seem to control it, and I can't get rid of this addiction. If you only knew, this verse doesn't seem true. I've talked to you, some of you, and you'd say, you know, I've done everything. I know I overspend. I know I'm a spendaholic. I, I run my visa bills up way over. Our house is mortgaged. I've got a second on our house to pay for my bills, and I'm still spending, and I can't seem to overcome this, and I know it's wrong. It doesn't make any sense, but I just can't seem to help myself. This doesn't seem true. I know that I'm not supposed to get angry and retaliate, but if you knew what this person did to me, and as much as I prayed for God to take the bitterness away, it's just, it's there and it's growing, and I feel like I have to lash out. I have to strike, strike out. It doesn't seem like this verse is true. I just want to acknowledge that. We've all been there. 
And yet what I want you to catch is God says it, take it on his word, I will never put you in a situation that is too much for you to resist or to, we've got to know that. Because Satan will come to you and say, you may fight this for a day, and you may fight this for a week, and you may win for a month, but you are not going to win over the long haul, so you might as well give up now. And that's how it works. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that God knows what you can take more than you know what you can take. And the fact is, is that often you can take a lot more than you think. And the fact is, is that if you're going to grow up and become a spiritual war warrior in this battle that we're in, the spiritual war, if you're going to grow up, it's going to require that you go to the limits and beyond at times to become the person that God's designed you to be. And this last week, I was reading a book. It was a book called 1776 by a, a man named David McCullough. He's one of the leading historians in our, in our uh, country. He's a two-time Pulitzer Prize winner. And uh, he's written other books on John Adams and Harry Truman and so on. But this one was about 1776. It's about the first year of our nation's history. It's about the year that we declared our independence from, from Great Britain. It's about a year of those battles that happened, the year where great uh, generals uh, uh, like George Washington and Nathaniel Green rose to lead our, uh, our uh, patriot armies. And it's a year about the amazing events that happened, and what an amazing story. It just covers that first year. You know, the Revolutionary War went seven or eight years, whatever. It just covers that first year of, the ba- of these critical battles. And I've got to tell you that if it wasn't history and it wasn't documented, I would not believe it. I would have said that what these American patriots went through is impossible. That no one could go through this and win. It is beyond their ability. You read story after story of these men who were outgunned and out-equipped and out-trained. I mean, their, their accountants, their attorneys, their cobblers, their, their store owners, no military training at all. A lot of them don't even have uh, guns or weapons. They don't have ammunition. They have very little cannons. They're going up against the, the superpower of the world at that time. There's just no way. A lot of them, they don't even have, the armies didn't have enough food to eat. They didn't have clothing to wear. And some of the accounts I'm reading in this, I, I just, I'm like, this is unbelievable. If this was a novel, I would say this is ridiculous. This could never happen. There is no way that human beings can go this far and beyond. There is no way. I remember one story in particular where they were fighting against uh, the, uh, Britain's forces. And so they were under, you know, they were uh, uh, outnumbered and they marched all night long in the middle of the winter with on snow-packed ground, frozen ground, and many of the men didn't have shoes on. And they marched for 10 or more miles to go in the middle of the freezing. It was so cold that two of the men died of frost in the midst of the march. And they're marching barefoot and they're leaving a bloody trail from their feet. I'm saying, this is impossible. Oh, but it wasn't impossible. It's what greatness requires. You see? It's what greatness requires. And God has a vision for your life. And that vision is greatness. His vision is not that you would be mediocre. His vision is that you would become like His Son. And because of that, there are times in our life where he asks us to fight a battle in the midst of a spiritual war that is intense and that is hard. And it's more than you think you can endure. But you know what? Those men never thought they could do it either. But they had an amazing vision and they had amazing leadership. And they did a great things. You see? And God comes to us. He says, men and women, I know sometimes it's hard. I know that temptation is hard. I know this trial is hard. Don't believe me. I get it. I know it's hard. But trust me, I will never put you in a situation and ask more of you than is doable. And I will be with you. And through this, as you submit to my leadership, you will accomplish great things and you will become a great person. You see? Number three. Now here we're going to kind of sit down for a while and really spend quite a bit of time here on this point. The first two have been foundational, that your situation is not unique, therefore it's beatable. 
And you know what? God will never ask you to do something more than you can do. And so bank on it. You can, you can trust in that. He's your leader. He's your George Washington of the army. He's the one that he knows what you're capable of. And he, he will bring the best out of you. But this third one now gets really practical. And it goes like this. That God will show you the way out if you're willing to take it. God will show you the way out. Uh, this is such a beautiful promise. Uh, this just blew me away when I was 20 years old, driving a forklift at Abbott Laboratories. And one day this verse pops in my mind and I got it. And he's like, you're kidding me. I've been doing life wrong for all these years. Chapter 10, verse 13. Let's look what it says. No temptation has seized you except what's common to man. Okay, we get it. Ours is not unique. God's faithful. We're in this together. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Okay. He'll never ask something more than we can give. Here's number three. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, catch this. It says, when you are tempted, who is going to provide the way out? God. Now, I bet for many of us, we've never seen that before in this verse. Most of us think that when in the midst of the temptation, it's our job to get ourselves out. God says, you need to get out of here. You need to resist this temptation. Now figure it out and let me know how it works. You know, bring home the bacon. You know, no baloney. We don't have excuses. Just get it done. What a revolutionary day it was in my life. When I, this verse, God showed me, it's not what it says. It says God is faithful and he will show you the way out. It doesn't matter what your temptation is. What te- what's the temptation you're facing in your life? What is it? As we go into this section, it might be helpful for you to, to answer this question. You don't want to write it on the corner of your note sheet because you don't want the person next to you to see it. But answer this question for me. If there was one temptation in your life that I could miraculously remove today, what would it be? What is the biggest temptation you're facing at this point in your life? I want you to get that, put a kind of neon lights around it in your brain, okay? I want you to get, I want you to focus in. And as we go through this teaching now, this part of the section, I want you to focus in like laser beam on that and be listening with that particular temptation in mind, okay? What it says is when you are tempted... Whatever that temptation is, he will provide a way out. God has promised in his word that he will, he'll show us the way. He's like a fireman. We're in the midst of a burning building. And God says, follow me. I'll show you the way out. Okay? Now, but there is a, <laughs> there's a kicker here. <laughs> we have to be willing to take it. And I'm telling you, lots of times we don't like his way out. Uh, you know, what's your other options uh, here? So we'll, we'll talk about that. So, so let me give you some examples. I'm, I'm going to give you a handful of examples here, five or six examples of ways that God may give you a way out of your temptation. Now, these are just, they're meant to be illustrations. They're meant to be um, just kind of examples. There could be like 15 or 18 or 1,000, you know. Uh, they're just kind of broad categories. These are the types of ways that God might show you the way out, all right? And so uh, there's no place on your note sheet to fill in the blanks, so just write them on as we go down. And uh, some are very common, some are less common, but uh, let me just give you some examples. Number one, um, the first way that sometimes God gives us a way out is of temptation is by supernatural deliverance. Now, um, let me say this. I don't think this is the norm. It's such a bummer. Um, don't you wish that like every temptation, you know, you're just like, God, I have this temptation. Would you help me? Oh, it's gone. Where'd it go? You know, it's like, it's, it's gone. I'm free from it. And it's very seldom, but it does work that way sometimes. I've known people that have come to Christ and they had maybe a drug or chemical addiction or alcohol addiction. And God just, they came to Christ. And the moment they came to Christ, it was just taken away. You've probably known people like that. 
Uh, I've known people that have struggled with a bitterness towards someone for years. And they've asked God for years, would you take away this bitterness? Help me deal with this so I could forgive this person. And it's during prayer or it's during the word or it's during a worship. And God just, boom, for whatever reason, that day, that time, boom, it's just gone. And it's, you know, and we've all known of that. And you may have experienced. So there's times in our life where we cry out to God, God, would you show me the way out? I'm facing temptation. Show me the way out. And God says, yes. And he just supernaturally does a deliverance. And, and that's one way that God shows his way out. Okay, not the norm though, probably. Number two, a second way that God often gives, shows us the way out is by spiritual insight. There are times in our life where God gives us a spiritual aha experience that just leads us into a new realm of freedom. We just kind of, we get something. It's a, a truth of scripture, just clicks and boom, we have freedom. If you study the history of the church, some of the greatest spiritual leaders of the church, uh, they're often called devotional leaders or that sort of thing. They will often talk in their life about going through like a dark night of the soul. Have you ever heard of that term? That kind of dark night of the soul. And it's, it's a time where you go through a very difficult time where God seems very distant and, and sin seems very present and you seem powerless against sin. And many times this might go on for years. Just a, a really a dry time spiritually. And, and many times these authors will talk about coming to a place, struggling against sin, and then coming to a place where all of a sudden it clicks that, that Christ lives in them. And for all these years, they've been trying to use their own willpower to overcome sin instead of trusting by faith that Christ would change them from the inside out and, and kind of moving into a place of faith and trust like we do with our salvation. And the light goes on and, and Christ becomes their life and they just move into a whole new realm of spiritual experience and of freedom with Christ. I know about 30 years ago, I moved into, I experienced some of that in my life. It's been huge in terms of dealing with temptation and sin. It's one of those things where you can't really like just kind of deliver it to someone else. It's almost like the, 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 the butterfly going through the, you know, coming out of the cocoon. It's like you got to go through your own struggle or whatever. But for me, extremely powerful. Where, where much of my earlier Christian life fought and fought against sin, felt like I was always losing. And after years of struggle and failure, God just said, Mike, you know, you're trying to do this on your own. There's a way to trust me for this. And I don't think I could have learned that without the years of struggle. And so sometimes there's just times where God gives you spiritual insight. And there's an aha experience. And boom, you move into a new degree of freedom. That's a second way. Again, not the most common, I don't think. Number three, here's one that's more common. A third way that God sometimes said, okay, you want to escape this, tempt- or overcome this temptation? Here's the way out. And it's spiritual habits. Developing spiritual habits in your life. Habits like spending time with God in the word, in prayer, maybe fasting, solitude, other spiritual habits. And they say, well, how does this help? Well, remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and his disciples, he was about to be arrested. And he went to his disciples and he said, hey, you need to pray right now. You need to stay awake, first of all. You know, that, that old King James, watch and pray, that just means don't fall asleep. You know, like, stay a guard. Uh, he says, don't fall asleep. You, you need to be spending time in prayer right now. He says, pray so you will not fall into temptation. Remember that statement? What he's saying is that you're about to go through a very significant temptation, and you need to be spiritually at your best. You, you need to be ready to go, and prayer does that. You know, when, you, when you're praying and you're, you're connecting with God, you're more alert spiritually, and you're ready for the attack. And so that's an example. Uh, remember when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan? Every time Satan tempted him, remember, Jesus responded with the word. He quoted scripture. Now, why did he do that? Well, because God's word is truth. And the heart of every temptation is lie. See, temptation is all about lie. Temptation is all about if you do this, you will be happy. That's the heart of temptation. Of course, it's a lie because if you do it, you will not be happy. You might be happy in the short run. You will not be happy in the long run. And so ever since the Garden of Eden, Satan's been coming to us and said, eat of the fruit. If you eat of the fruit, you'll be happy. And And so God's word comes and exposes the lie. And so by spending time in God's word, we can see through the deception. That's why the word's important. It's not like some magic pill. It's that the word exposes the lie. We go, oh, I see, it's a lie. So so by building spiritual habits into our life, many times 
you'll come and, God, how do I beat this particular temptation in my life? What's the way out? And he's going to say, you need to draw close to me during this time. It's the only way that you're going to be able to beat this temptation. Okay, let's go on to another example. Uh, what is this? Number uh, four. Uh, number four is uh, run for your life. Okay? Yeah, I'm serious. Are you serious? Yeah, I am. Yeah, run for your life. In other words, avoid the temptation. There are some times when you go to God and you say, okay, God, uh, you said you'd be faithful with me that uh, in times of temptation, so I'm coming. Uh, my understanding from your word is that I'm to partner with you in this. I'm not on my own. We're partners in this t- temptation thing. So um, you said you provide a way out. I'm here to sign up to learn. What do you want me to do? And God's going to say, in this particular case, you need to avoid this temptation altogether. Don't go near. Okay? It's the only way you're going to beat this temp- particular temptation. This is, you're going to have to avoid it altogether. Let me give you some examples. Some of those guys, we, we struggle with sexual temptation a lot. You may struggle with pornography in your life. And the way out, as you're praying about this, you're talking with your friends, the way out may be for you that there are just certain stores you don't go into. The way out may be that there are certain, um, that you just don't have HBO at your home. You just don't have that. The way out may be that you don't have a computer at home or you don't have internet access at home. Or if you do have a computer at home, it's in the family room where there's high accountability. Okay? Uh, that may be what God says. For you, the way out is to run. And the way you run is just avoid the temptation. You see? Another example. Uh, let's say that your, your, uh, your temptation, you, you've had an affair with someone. And you're going, oh God, I'm trying to break away from this affair in my life. And I know it's not right. And I want, but it just, the longing for this person is so strong. And God may say, okay, I will help you. But to do this, you have to have absolutely no contact with that person. You can't talk to them every day about how hard this is. You know, that's the way out. You know, this, this, you just kind of avoid it altogether. Uh, you're struggling with drugs or alcohol. There may be people or places you just can't go. Uh, you're struggling with overspending. And God may say, here's the solution. I can help you with this, but you cannot go to a mall alone. <laughs> now, we are laughing, <laughs> which is great, but I am dead serious. You see? If your problem is overspending, just like an alcoholic can't go hang around the bar, just like the guy struggling with porn can't be on the internet at 2 a.m. in the morning in his bedroom with the door closed, or in his den with the door closed, so if your problem is overspending, chances are you can't go to the mall. Now, God will show you that. This is God's thing with you, okay? It says God will show you the way out. There are times we just have to avoid the situation. It's the way that God's going to say, this is the way out. Let me tell you a story. Years ago, uh, probably about four or five years ago, I was on a a jury in San Diego. It was a federal drug running case. And it was one of those things I really tried hard to get out of jury duty. Not that you've ever done that, but... uh, you know, and so I write this letter, and I'm a pastor, and the church is going to go to hell, and then if the church goes to hell, the, the city will go to hell, and the city goes to hell, the state will go to hell, then the country will go to hell, and then, so you really don't, I, I'm just, you know, I'm indispensable, basically, and so, no, I didn't buy it. And so they, they call back and said, you know, this might work for superior court, but this is a federal court, and you will be here, you know? And I was like, you're kidding me, and it's like, no, 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 but well, here's what we do, since you are so amazingly important... Um, we, we will cut you down from two weeks of duty to one week of duty. And so I go down there and, and, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, I, I all dress up, but I figure, well, I probably won't get chosen, but if I do, I want to look like I'm ready for this, you know? And so I looked, I had my, my best on and, and not like today. And, uh, and so, so I'm all, uh, I'm all dressed up in my suit and a mock turtleneck thing and you got this whole GQ thing going. And so you go into this, you, you go into this, uh, this place, you know, I'm thinking they're never going to choose me because I'm a pastor, they don't want pastors. A lot of pastors believe right and wrong, you know? <laughs> Why'd you want them on a jury? <laughs> you know? They're going to hold people accountable. Get them out of here. Um, and so I'm thinking there's not any chance. And sure enough, I get chosen. I can't believe it. I'm chosen on this federal drug case. 
And then I go in and the, 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 uh, the jury has to decide who their foreman is. And they look at me, I've got the suit. And they decide, you look like the foreman. And I got to tell you, I'm actually loving this because I almost went into law. I, I, before ministry, I, I was going to go into law and I had friends in law. I just I love this law. And I even checked into law school. I was all ready to go. And then God said, no, sorry. But uh, anyway, and so I'm there. I think this is really fascinating to me and really fun and everything like that. And so we're in there and we've got, you know, it's like the jury is really split, you know, down the middle. No, he's not guilty. He is guilty. And I'm thinking, the guy's guilty of sin. And, and so we're going to have to, you know, find out a way to move everyone around and show them and bring this stuff. And, and I'm praying, God, would you help me? Show me the way to do this. And, and so it was just fun. It was just a great small group experience, you know. <laughs> it was, it was kind of like a highly dysfunctional life group, you know what I'm saying? And, and, um, and so, so we're in there and, and, we're, and, and it's really funny. There's this one lady who was uh, probably about maybe 10 years younger than me at the time, I'm guessing. Uh, really attractive, sharp, good thinker. And as we're kind of working this crowd here and trying to work on where we're going and bringing it back, I can tell there's a connection between us. Now, now, you understand this, right? You understand that when you get married, it doesn't remove all connection with the opposite sex. You understand this? That there are some people in your life, you just naturally, when you meet them, there's going to be some chemistry there. It's just the way it works. And so... Um, they're the kind of thing that if, if you weren't married and you were single, you'd think, oh, I wonder if that person's available. And so there's this kind of this connection that I could just kind of tell this. I had my radar, I can kind of tell this. And so I made a mental note, I'm not going to have lunch with this lady. You know, like wherever she goes, I'm going the opposite direction, you know. Um, and so, so I'm, I'm cool. That was no big deal. Didn't, you know, just kind of pass through my mind. It's kind of a normal strategizing for me, you know. And so... We go out after lunch, and I don't know what happened, but before you know it, everyone go, oh, we're going here, we're going there, and it's just her and I. And she turns to me and says, hey, you want to have lunch? I can tell she's just really like, this is a great idea. And it was just so awkward, you know, like, what do you do? You just say like, nah, I don't really think so. I'm fasting today. I don't believe in lunch. You know, I ate yesterday. You know, and so I just feel like really awkward. What do you do? And it's, you got to make the split second thing. And so I said, okay. <laughs> and so now I'm walking with this beautiful woman downtown San Diego. Where do you want to go to lunch? And I'm like, just feel like this is so lame. This is just so lame. And so I'm thinking, like, Jesus, you've got to help me. Jesus, you've got to help me. What do I do? I don't want to be rude. You know, I don't want to be rude, but this is not good. And so the more I walked, the more I just felt uncomfortable with this situation. And so, uh, so finally, I made up, like, the lamest excuse in the world. You know, it's like, you know, I just remembered um, that there's someone I need to call. And so I need to go make that call. And I didn't mention it was my wife, you know, by the way. <laughs> and it was so awkward, and it's like, she looked at me kind of weird and just kind of, I'll tell you, any chemistry there was there, it's destroyed. She had daggers for me the rest of the jury duty. You know, it's just like, whoa, stay away from you. But you know, there are times in our life, we just have to say the way out is just to avoid the situation. Now you say, well, Mike, what do you think would have happened if you had lunch with her? You know what I think would have happened? Nothing. I would have had appropriate boundaries. Might even be able to share Christ with her. There could have been a ton of things, but one of the general rules of my life is I don't do lunch with a woman alone. One of the general rules of my life is, as a general, I don't ride in a car with a woman alone. These are rules I have for my life. Now, are there ever, well, maybe some crazy exception, but in general, this is the rules. Why do I do that? Because I don't want to put myself in a situation that could develop, you see. I, I don't want to think I'm beyond having a fall, Right? And so there are times when the Holy Spirit's going to say, you know what, on this particular one, you just need to avoid the situation. You need to run. Look at that in your Bibles there. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 and verse 14. Where I love this, verse 10, verse 14, they're dealing with the, the sin of idolatry or temptation. He says, therefore, my dear, dear brothers, flee from idolatry. Is that flee? Now, you remember back in 1 Corinthians 6, he said that same thing about sexual immorality. In chapter 6, he said, flee sexual immorality. There's some things you don't bargain with. There's some things you don't go, oh, where's the line? Oh, here's the line. Okay, I think if I hold hands with this 
attractive woman on the jury thing. That'd be over the line. So I'm going to go right here and have lunch, share our lives together, hang out, get each other's phone numbers to email. For No, no, no. It's like flee, run, avoid the situation. Okay? There's another one. Uh, let me give you a, a fifth one. A fifth example of what he might ask you to do is accountabil- accountability. That often when we're struggling with a, an area of temptation, that what we need is we need accountability. We need a close relationship with someone we can share our heart with, share our struggle with, and, and that we can just kind of be real with and pray for each other and so on. In Hebrews chapter 3, it says we're to encourage each other daily so you will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. It promises happiness. It's a lie, but it's very, it looks true. And it says one of the things you can do is to encourage each other daily. See, that accountability. James chapter 5 and verse 16, not on your note sheet, but it says to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so you can be healed. One of the ways out, if you're struggling with temptation, that God may say, you know what, for you to get through this, you need a brother to go through this with. You need a sister to go through this with. Number five, or number six, yeah, six. A sixth example, and this will be the last example, is a specific, act, we call it an action step. An action step. Uh, sometimes, that when we're dealing with a specific temptation, God will give you a specific action step you need to take in this situation to beat this temptation. Let me give you an example. Let's say there's someone in your life who's hurt you greatly. They've really betrayed your trust. They've wounded you in some way. God may say, and you're, you're fighting bitterness, and you're fighting resentment, and your temptation is to give in and to seek revenge or to get bitter. God may say for you, I want you to do something nice for this person. I want you to, um, you know, I don't know, the situ- it depends on who the person is and what you do, but, but I want you to uh, call them up and say, hey, just been thinking about you, been praying for you, uh, you know, I know we've had some conflict or whatever, but God's just put on my heart that I'd like to send you two tickets to the Dodger game or what, you know, I don't know what the thing would be, you know, make, I'm just kind of making something up, obviously on the flight it's not very good, but um, <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying is that, is that I've seen this happen many times where God will give you a specific action step to break the power of the temptation. Uh, One of these that Jesus said specifically to do is he said we're to pray for our enemies. This is an action step. I've found this in my own life that when someone has hurt me and I have a bitterness, one of the things that God almost always asks me to do so that I will not fall into temptation that is to pray that God would bless them. To pray, God, will you bless this person? You know what they need. You know whether they need discipline. You know whether they need mercy. I don't know that. All I know is they hurt me. But I'm praying that you, they will experience your complete best for their life. And there is something about that that breaks the cycle of bitterness when we pray for others. And Jesus said, pray for you. What is it? It's a, it's a specific action step that breaks the power of temptation. Okay? Now, here's the point. The, the point is, I don't want you to, I've given you a lot of examples, but the examples aren't the important thing. The important thing is that God promises to show you the way out. But here's the rub. You ready for this? Is, the, the, okay, the, the price of the whole sermon's worth it right here. Okay, you ready? So if you're, if you're asleep, wake up. All right. Okay, good. Thank you, sir. Um, okay, here's the rub. God promises to show you the way out but you have to be willing to take it. And many times, we don't like God's escape route. We're like in the burning building, and God says, this is the way out, follow me. And we're looking, at this, but it's smoky. There's fire there. It looks scary there. It looks painful there. I don't want to go that route. He says, follow me. I know what I'm doing. I just came in the building. I know how to get out of the building. Follow me. We go, no, no, no. What are my options? And so many times, God comes and says, this is the way out. And we say, I don't want to do that. God says, here's your way out. You need to draw close with me in prayer. I don't want to do that. I'm busy. God comes and says, here's your way out. I want you to send this basket of fruit to that lady that hurt you. Uh, Assuming it's a woman. (laughs) Be really weird sending a basket of fruit if you're a man. And then to a woman. He says, I want you to send a basket of fruit to that woman and tell her that you're praying for her. And you say, I don't want to do that woman. That woman hurt me. I will never do something nice. And God says, that's what you need to do. That's your way out. I don't want to do that. He comes to a guy and he says, 
You need to not have a computer at home. This internet's the only way you're going to beat this pornography thing. And you say, I don't want to do that. That's inconvenient. I'd have to do all my work at the office. I like working from home. What are your other options? The person who's struggling with alcohol, God comes and says, your way out is you have to give up alcohol. Absolutely, completely, no exceptions. I don't like that, God. That feels restrictive to me. I want to be able to have a couple beers with my friend. What I want you to do is take away my desire for excessive beer. I want you to let me retain the right to have a couple beers. God comes to a young couple. They're struggling sexually. They're trying to stay pure. They keep crossing their boundaries. And God says, okay, you need to have some new boundaries. If you're going to stay pure, here's your way out. You need to not be out after 11 p.m. together. If you're going to, if you're going to beat this thing, you need to be off so you'll never spend time in each other's apartments alone. If you're going to beat this thing, and he, God begins to slice him, and we go, but we don't want that. We want to be able to hang out till two in the morning and have those deep conversations whenever we feel like it. We want to be able to go on that cruise together. We'll get separate rooms. That, that feels fun, God. We don't want to be restricted. You see what I'm saying? And so God says, here's the way out. And we say, we don't like your way. Oh. Oh. Wow, this is close to home, isn't it? You know, I want to go to the mall whenever I want. I love going to the mall. Not speaking personally. <laughs> do, do you catch where I'm going with this? God says, I'll provide you the way out. We say, I don't want your way. What are the options? But you see, it's when we submit to God's way that we're submitting our will. We're submitting our life. We're submitting in obedience. And it's there where the power of God meets us. You see? Where we take up our cross and we follow Him. You see, to beat sin, we have to beat temptation. And to beat temptation, we have to beat it on God's terms. Powerful. That's worth the price of admission, I promise you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your powerful word, God. It's just so encouraging to know that we are not in this alone, that there is no temptation that is faced that's unbeatable, it's common, that you'll never put us in a situation more than we can handle, and that most of all, that you are faithful and you will always show us the way out if we're willing to take it. God, would you show us that? I know there's some here today that are in, really enmeshed in sin right now, and they, they've lost the battle of temptation God, would you encourage them that you can not only forgive them, but you can change them. And I pray that as we all as a congregation come and ask for the way out, you'd show us exactly what that is, and you'd give us the willingness to follow. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org, where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.